Welcome to the Council Podcast, a podcast about life as an in-house lawyer. I'm your host, Mel Scott, Senior Legal Counsel at a global technology company based in Brisbane, Australia. I am passionate about all things in-house and am so excited to share insights, interview key people in our profession and demystify in-house practice. My guest today is an in-house legal legend, someone that has contributed to our understanding of in-house practice more than most. As the author of the 10 Things You Need to Know as In-House Counsel blog, Sterling Miller is a gift to in-house lawyers everywhere. He has held the general counsel position three times at Sabre Corporation, Travelocity and Marketo. Sterling shared so much wisdom that I am releasing his interview over two parts. Enjoy. Sterling, thank you so much for joining me all the way from Dallas in Texas. Oh, it's my pleasure, Mel. Glad to be here. I came across your name many years ago, and it was through a recommendation of a colleague about this amazing legal blog. I was really junior at the time, and I have to say such a big thank you for all of the work that you have done with your blog. Oh, that is so nice of you. On behalf of all of the in-house lawyers around the world, I just cannot thank you enough for the guidance and the way that you wrote your blog consistently for so many years, I think is amazing. And I will certainly touch on how that came to be, but I just wanted to start off with a big thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Wow. That was nice. Sure my mom didn't call you. (laughs) No, no, not at all. Okay. So just for fun. Sure. I would love to ask you if you had a limitless credit card, but could only spend it at one shop, what shop would that be and why? You know, my first thought would be a bookstore, but I think my real choice would be, and I don't know if they have these in Australia, but we have a, a chain of stores here in the States called Guitar Center. And Guitar Center is full of guitars and keyboards and all kinds of musical instruments. And I, I play in a band here in the Dallas area. And I love guitars, so I would go freaking nuts with an unlimited credit card at Guitar Center. Uh, my wife would kill me maybe more than she already plans on for all the stuff I, I already buy. <laughs> but uh, that would be awesome. great. So if you want to send that over, uh, yes, that would, be, uh, that would be good. I love that. And what kind of music does your band play? We, uh, we play primarily 80s alternative so The Cure, That's R.E.M., cool. Tom Petty, anything you would have heard on what considered here in the States is college radio, kind of the stuff that I grew up with. And we have found, we've been together for a while now, and we used to play a mix of stuff. But when we would play the 80s, you know, the Melt With You or What I Like About You or whatever it was, that always got the crowd going and we just said, Hmm, that would be a better plan than the one we have. So uh, that's what we play primarily. We do some other things and we we always try to make them not play them exactly like the record, right? So it's not it's not boring for us, but but certainly recognizable and always kind of punchy and jangly and fun. fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, really. Of course, of course, COVID's kind of kind of killed our live performances here for the last several months. But I'm hoping hoping that's going to change. But it is it's a great outlet. That is awesome. You are a man of many talents. We have. (laughs) Guitar player, we have blogger, author of many different types of books, which I'll touch on later. And of course, the reason that we're here, lawyer. You yes. have quite a, an impressive and expansive career. It's over 30 years practicing. 
I know you've spent a large number of it uh, working in-house and in-house practice. That's correct, yep. I'd love you to tell me about your favourite role as an in-house lawyer. Ooh, favourite role in-house. I would pick probably the general counsel of Travelocity, which was my second general counsel position. So Travelocity, for anyone who doesn't know, is a online travel website and its uh, spokesperson, its icon is this roaming gnome. And when I went to start at Travelocity, I had been at the parent company, which is called Sabre Corporation, which is in travel technology, but they owned Travelocity and they needed a general counsel. So they, they asked me if I would be interested and I never turned down a combat assignment. So I said, sure, I'll do it. <laughs> How hard can it be, right? And sure. oh my God, I knew nothing. I was a, a, just a complete idiot because I just, I, I would go to these meetings. I, I didn't know the acronyms. I, I went in thinking, well, this is travel. I know this and got such a lesson in humility over the first several months. And it forced me, you know, to really depend on my team, to reach out to the lawyers who had been there, to learn a level of, of, of humbleness that you don't know mm. everything. And uh, if you don't know, it's okay to ask. You can ask questions. Mm. Be smart about it. Don't ask a question every two minutes, but it's okay to be vulnerable. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And can you explain this to me and go? And I found people generally to be very, very generous with their time. If you go into someone and say, you know, I was at this meeting. I heard you talking about this didn't really quite understand it. Could you maybe give me a, you know, 15 minutes of a tutorial? That'll turn into an hour almost inevitably, but they love, they love talking about it. And then of course it was just kind of cool being part of Travelocity. I gave away a lot of gnomes. Uh, we were sponsors of the amazing race we had. So everybody, everybody kind of knew, at least here in the U.S., everyone knew the brand and that was, that was fun. So I would say that was probably the favorite Fantastic. And and when you came uh, to that role, it sounds like you inherited a team of lawyers that were there before. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. There were originally three lawyers and one paralegal and an admin that I inherited. The team eventually, because we went on a buying spree, I think at the peak, I had uh, probably close to 17 uh, on my team. Uh, wow. we, we went, we went global. We went big and global. Amazing. And yeah. So it was, uh, and, and it was the sun never set on the Travelocity gnome, I like to say. So. No, I can, I can relate to that. Absolutely. My current position is in a global company and it's 24 seven. If, if I want it to be, someone is always online. The, the, so. So, <laughs> yes. You're always going to get, there's always an email uh, to be answered. And in, in Australia, it was, uh, I think it was, called Zuji was the name of the brand. And now that was a long time ago and it, it went away. So you probably don't remember it, but we didn't always call it Travelocity and it depended on the country. And, and those global uh, or country specific instances of, uh, I guess, cultural or business practices that, yeah, just don't, you have don't to, necessarily you, Yeah, you have to be back. sensitive, even more so in the world today. But, you know, the first few times you run into it, especially as Americans. I mean, look, I, <laughs> I know what we're like. <laughs> um, people don't always view us as the most sensitive to other, other cultures. But I, I think in my experience, certainly the companies that I've been involved in, there has been a real effort to think about and be thoughtful as we enter into new markets, you know, to get people on the ground, to, to be sensitive to, to the differences, not only in, in just culture generally, but in, in work life. Uh, you know, the weekend, mm. if you have offices in the Middle East, you know, Sunday's a work day. 
uh, Christmas is not a holiday, and you have to you have to expect that and re- expect it and respect it. And and if you do both of those, you're usually on your way to be successful. That's at least that's what I've found. That's such great advice, especially for anyone who's expanding into into new markets. I'd say uh, my experience working for an Australian company expanding and having quite a big presence in the U.S. has been phenomenal just in that. You would think perhaps we speak the same language and we have some similarities, but there are massive business differences yes. just with my U.S. team. Yes, there are. And I adore working with my U.S. sales team in particular but they are a special breed. (laughs) Yes. And it took me time to realize how to work with them and and how to give them what they needed. I was probably leading with all of the reasons why we couldn't do something in in the first instance. And that didn't translate as well. well. (laughs) No, no. And and a great experience nonetheless, but the joys of working in a global organization are, are many. (laughs) <laughs> I I did actually hear on the the technically legal podcast that you were on earlier this year. That was really quite specific to crisis management. Yes. And your time at Travelocity coincided with the September 11 yes. tragedy in the US. Yes. And working in a, a travel company at that time must have been just completely fraught with perhaps some of the uh, experiences that the GCs are actually going through now. Can you recall that time and, and talk us through that a little? Oh, sure. Yeah, no, I remember it. Uh, I remember very clearly. I remember being uh, in the office, someone coming in saying, you know, a plane crashed into the World Trade Center and we all thought it was a small plane, someone, you know, just a pilot error or malfunction. And then 10 minutes later, someone comes back and says, there's a second one. And then, you know, right? You know, something's oh. horribly, horribly wrong. So then you turn on the television and you see what's going on. And, you know, your first thought is obviously with, you know, the people that uh, that's going to affect, it's affecting directly. But we had offices in New York that were very near uh, ground zero. So your, your thinking has to, especially if you're in a leadership position in a, in a company, is how do I take care of my, my people, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. That's number one. So first, how do we make sure everyone's accounted for? How do we make sure they're, they're safe? Uh, then you start to worry about, okay, so what's this going to mean? And you can just start to see, right, there's a, there's a flood of calls coming into the call center. Flights start to get canceled. Uh, the government starts to shut things down. And, y- you know, you're, you're, you're first kind of sitting there going, okay, uh, what, what, what is, how is this going to play out? What does this mean? And you don't think, there's so many things you, you're not thinking about, like the overwhelming volume to the call center. I mean, you almost have to put mm. a second call center online and how do you stand that up in 24 hours, in 48 hours? Mm. Um, and then just uh, when travel basically comes to a standstill, and it's, it is a little bit like COVID now, uh, certainly with travel, though so much longer and so much more widespread mm. that, as everything shuts down, you keep thinking, what does this mean for our business, right? Uh, there, are, we, I think the U.S. shut down all flights for two weeks, maybe almost three. Uh, any any domestic flights, no international flights in. That has a human cost aside. You start that starts to have a big impact on the bottom line, and uh, mm-hmm. you know the 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 economy as a whole is impacted, but certainly travel more so, and that led to. You know, several months later, you wonder, are you still going to be in business? And how do you restructure? How do you how do you work your way through it? And fortunately, 
you know, you, you do. Uh, there's a, I think a crisis like that brings out the best in people. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I could say that about COVID. <laughs> it seems to, at least here in the U.S., maybe have brought out the worst in people on s- some okay. scale, which is very different than, you know, what I experienced, I would say, for 9-11. Uh, it wasn't politicized at all, certainly intra-Americans, which you see, which you see in COVID. You know, wearing a mask, for example, seems to be the smart thing to do scientifically, and yet it has become a political, a political statement. statement. Yeah, one way or the other, it's like, wow. Certainly <laughs> no. noticed that from yeah. here. Yeah, so that that is is different in my, in, in my experience. But I thought in 9-11, I think that really brought out the, the best of not only the company that I was working for, but Americans in general. And that was, uh, that was an interesting positive out of a very, very tragic uh, series of events. But uh, mm. those things happen. You, you can't plan for them. All you can do is, is react and hope you're, you're, you've been planning on something happening bad and you have a plan to deal with it. You don't know what it's going to be, but you put it into motion. And, and, and fortunately, we did. And it, uh, mm. we got through it, fortunately. Mm. Well, this too shall pass, as they say, even if it doesn't feel like yeah, it. Boy, yeah. <laughs> yes, it feels, <laughs> feels like it's going on a little longer than, than necessary, but hopefully soon, hopefully. I suspect quite a number of business continuity plans were dusted off and <laughs> revisited yes. Yes. for the first time in, in maybe some time uh, earlier this year. <laughs> what advice would you give to, to any general counsel who are experiencing COVID now in their organization? I, I would say first and foremost, you know, take care of your people. Make sure they feel safe and make sure that if you're, if you're opening up your offices, which is kind of hit and miss here in the U.S. that you have done the things that are needed to make it as safe as possible, so people feel if they are required to go into the office that it's a, that it's a safe place. And I would say that's not only for your legal team, but as as the general counsel, you should be part of that decision making process for the company as a whole. And if it's if it's not safe, if it's not the best idea, then just continue to do your best with letting people work uh, remotely or work from home until mm-hmm. until you get to the point where you know you can get some kind of normalcy back in the office. So that's that's number one. If you don't you know if you don't treat your people right, if they feel that you put money ahead of lives or we're not really concerned about their well-being, that will come back to bite you in the long run. So mm. I would say make that number one. Then number two, be more than a lawyer. In the US, we we also call there there's there's attorneys at law, there's counselors at law. And we kind of forget about the counselor part, I think. And you focus a lot on just the legal issues. And as the general counsel, in my experience, when these, when these types of weird situations arose, sometimes the CEO or the CFO or the chief operating officer, whoever, they just want someone to talk to who can listen to them and can give them some advice yeah. that isn't necessarily tied to a statute or a law or a case or maybe even what's the best way we can minimize our liability here all the things that lawyers tend to think about sometimes it's some, it's about something different so so put on that counselor hat as much as you put on the lawyer hat and then third you know be positive if mm-hmm. you're a leader of the company and not only is the general counsel but typically the legal departments of most companies are viewed uh, very positively positively by the workforce generally. And in that role, you can have a significant impact either positively or negatively. So if you're positive 
as you said, we're going to get through this. Better days are ahead. That will rub off on the population generally in the company. Even if you may not be feeling it, I think having a positive attitude every day, trying to bring that to the office, to the team, to the meetings that you're in, uh, will pay off as well. So those are the those are the things that come top of mind. Such good advice, and it it reminds me of that saying that if the guy who is uh, the bomb expert he his face goes white, then you need to run. <laughs> And I feel like lawyers, sometimes we can be the canary in the, the gold mine, perhaps. And if we're freaking out a little bit. That is so true. Yes. I have no doubt that that energy is contagious amongst oh, the business. Ab- absolutely. So. I used to love to get, you know, you get a contract back from the other side and it'd be all marked up in red, just bleeding red. And the, and the sales team would be looking at it and you'd be looking at it. And I would inevitably go, I've seen worse. Yeah. We can work with this. <laughs> <laughs> Even if I'm inside going, oh my God, <laughs> there's maybe one word they didn't change, right? But you you can't do that because if they think you're if they think you're giving up or you're thinking there's no way we're gonna get this deal done or however that's gonna come out, then yeah, you're right. So it, it is it takes a skill, it takes some some practice to to do that. But you're absolutely right. We shouldn't underestimate how our colleagues look at us and look to us for advice and and that counsel, as you say. It leads me on to my next question quite nicely. You you have made somewhat of a side hustle out of giving advice in your blog and in your books, but I'd love to know what is the best piece of advice that you have ever been given as an in-house lawyer? There, okay, I, I'm going to pick two. I'm going to I'm going to break your rules. Absolutely. I'm going to pick two. The first one, so I would rank this, I'll call this 1B, because 1A I think is really the, the most important one. 1B is... Someone once told me, Sterling, there's never enough time, money, or people. So just get over it. If you're an in-house lawyer, you're always going to be strapped for all of those three. And it's never going to change. No one's going to show up with a money truck and go, hey, legal department, hire as many people as you think you need and just pick a budget, man. We'll sign off on it, right? That, that just doesn't happen. And if you can't adjust to that, especially if you come from a big law firm, which I did from my my first in-house job. You've already had everything, right? I mean, people would bring you anything you wanted. You never had to leave your chair. You realize later on that's because they just wanted you to keep billing. But when yes. you're a young associate, you think, oh, this is great. I never have to leave. Free dinner? <laughs> yes, free food, free free whatever. So, And that's obviously not the case in-house, which I'm sure which I'm sure you've uh, you've experienced. And then probably the best the best piece of advice, one of the very first times I presented to I guess what would be called an executive committee, right? So you know, typically they meet once or once a week or once every two weeks and then they'll bring in people to present on different topics. That's that's very standard here in, in the US probably. Probably there as well. Yeah, of course. I think the very first one I went into, I kinda launched into this build up and the CEO just said, Sterling, just give me the answer. Right. But that is the best advice I ever got. Just get to the point. No one cares about the string site, the interesting asides. All the stuff is lawyers because you're you're not generally curious, and you have oh well, there's this one case that Mm. you know the the dissent talked about this. No one gives a crap. They just want the answer. So get to that. And so everything I started to do in terms of of writing, presenting, to do PowerPoint presentations, almost inevitably start with. Here's the answer. Here's what you here's what you need to know. Then we'll back up and go. Now let's go a little deeper because of course there's nuance, but this is this is this is how we're going to come out at the end. At least our recommendation is going to be. 
And then you, ha- you have them because now they know, they kind of know how to put everything into context because they know where you're going. Uh, so that was, that is number one A in my book. And I think it does take some retraining of our our thoughts and our ego a little bit as well when we come from private practice to in-house if that's (laughs) the path that you take because of course we've been paid and revered on our legal thoughts and our wonderful diatribe of reasoning and here's my lovely advice and of course the in-house world is a rude awakening sometimes (laughs) they don't care as you say get to the point I often expect someone to follow up with they, they would like more detail, but it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> they, they need to know the answer. And uh, look, if they want to go into a deep dive, we can. I call that the, I call that the appendix, I would say. Yes. If you want more, it's in the appendix. So like the, the, the PowerPoint maybe be three slides and then there'd be 15 slides of all kinds of stuff. And no one ever, no one ever looks at it, but it was there. And if, uh, if we ever needed to go back and revisit something, though, I'd say that's pretty rare. Uh, generally, you know, it was like, look, here's here's what I think we should do. And I'm going to tell you the why. Ask any questions you want as we go forward. Uh, I assume everyone has read the deck, the presentation. If you haven't, stop me. Let me know. I'll give you some more background. But otherwise, let's just get right into the meat. And man, they love that because they've got a million other things to do. And legal generally isn't what they're looking forward to that day is, oh, wow, the lawyers are coming to talk to us. That's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a big bag of awesome. Uh, you're usually like, how can, we, how can we just get through this? So you, you, try to, you try to figure that out, think about that. Um, and then as you go forward and they, they view you as someone who's going to get to the point who has practical advice, who isn't off in some pie-in-the-sky world of non-reality, that's when you become much more valuable to the company and you're viewed as much more valuable to the company because, oh, wow, we got this lawyer who's not like a lawyer at all. He speaks mm. plain English and he gets mm-hmm. to the point and he never uses Latin. <laughs> so they, they love that. That's been in my experience. They just love it. So I, I've, that's why I've tried to duplicate that um, throughout my career. And the same would go for a junior in-house lawyer who was perhaps doing some work for someone more senior in the team. I suspect that we also, uh, as a senior lawyer, really just need the answer as well. And and if you can start any communications within the business with that that too long didn't read little tweet version, perhaps. Yes. And then and then some of the. Uh, the detail in, in an appendix below or, or however it may come yeah. across. Or, or, or what I would do, yeah, what I would do in the email, you, meant, you mentioned there's more detail if you wanted, I would just start off with the answer. Mm. And then I'd say, here's the answer, a little more background. And then I'd say, there's there's more here if you want it, just reach out to me and I'll tell you about yeah. it. <laughs> and they, and it's, I had the same experience you did. I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone ever did in 30 years <laughs> that I can remember. Maybe they did once, maybe, maybe once. But we know we did the advice, so we know we're, we're comfortable with the. They just. That's right. We, we felt we got them to the right, we got them to the right place. Absolutely. That's what we felt like. And yeah. No one went to jail. No. Well, <laughs> hopefully. Yes. You have um, no doubt had many experiences where you've been in, in that room of, of senior leadership team or senior management, especially as uh, general counsel and and I know that you've been a three times general counsel as well. I would love to just pick your brain a little bit about specifically that position at the top of the legal team, head of legal, chief legal officer, whatever it may be called. If you're in that, uh, you're new to that role, often it may be the the holy grail that you've been working towards for some time in your legal career. And, and it may even be seen 
I certainly do view that as an equivalent to, say, a partner in a private practice. It really is that sure. that top line, uh, you know, seat at the table in the room where the decisions are, are happening usually. And in my mind, it, it is a little bit of a, a holy grail. But I'd love to ask someone who's been there, what is, what is it actually like to be a general counsel? And what, what are the, the myths that you would like to debunk? Uh, it is incredibly exhilarating and incredibly scary all at the same time. So maybe okay. the most scary roller coaster you've ever been on if you if you want to put it in in something like that. Yes. So the reason it's exhilarating is all the things that you you just mentioned, Mel. So you're you're in the room, right? You're you're part of the decisions being made. You're you're seeing the raw information come in and it may be incomplete it may be overwhelming you don't know but you're but you're there and it's scary because unlike the deputy general counsel or the managing counsel or the senior counsel or counsel everything stops with you there's no one that you can go up the chain to to make the decision you have to make the call especially on legal issues and sometimes they're really hard sometimes they're full of risk and you just have to make the best decision you can make. But, you know, when I was a deputy general counsel, I could always go to the general counsel and go, well, here's what I think we should do and here's why. But you know what? He or she, it was going to be their call. So if they disagreed with me, I was not the final decision maker. But when you are, wow, uh, that is uh, that is the ultimate seat of your pants experience. I, I loved it. If, if you don't have the stomach for it, uh, it may not be the uh, the right place to end up, but those things jump out. There is certainly uh, in a, a, a level of cachet with being the general counsel. There's a level of respect that you get, not only within the company, but from outside lawyers or other other vendors or whoever you might meet because they realize you're you're at mm-hmm. the top. Right, you're part of the C-suite, and and I would be lying if I said that's not that's not kind of mm. cool, right? To be uh, to get get that sense of respect, yeah. or uh, um, I won't I won't say toadyism. That's not really what I'm thinking about, but there is a, a, a an amount of wow, you know, I'm talking to the general counsel, even though you know you think you're no different than you were the day before you were general counsel. There is a certain uh, aura yes, about of it, um, and you and you and you have to be careful. Because as the boss, if you if you say something that you think is a is you think is a joke or you're trying to be funny, it may not be taken as a joke, mm. right? Because they're they're seeing you as the decider, the final ruler, the final arbiter of whatever. And if you're saying something, they're gonna t- you just have to assume they're gonna take it seriously. So if you write someone and say, hey, can you look at X for me? You need to understand that if you're the general counsel and you send that, that is going to be the first thing they work on, mm-hmm. right? Because <laughs> it's the boss is asking them for something. It's gonna come ahead of everything else, even if you thought, yeah, I don't care if you get back to me for two weeks. So I had to learn to say, this is not urgent. Please, you know, don't move this ahead of anything else because you don't understand the power that the office has and you, and you and you tend to learn have to learn that but the one myth that i would say to go back i guess to actually answer answer your question Mel, is you may think the job gets easier uh the higher up the chain you get and it, it actually it actually gets harder it gets much harder and the reason for that at least in my experience is your schedule is not your own you have so much more power to control your schedule as a junior in-house lawyer mm-hmm. mid 
career in-house lawyer, deputy general counsel. But when you're the boss, anyone on the board, anyone in the C-suite, if they wanted to talk to me, if they wanted to put a meeting on my calendar, they just did it, right? And that, yeah. and you you took those calls, you took those meetings. Um, and with my admin, I had, I said, look, to control my calendar or calls, my wife and anyone who can fire me, <laughs> take <Yeah>. those <laughs> and put those through. <laughs> I love and it. Unfortunately, it's, it's, a, it's a big group when you're a general counsel that, you know, you, you could, you could, you could get fired. So those, those ones you take and you just have to, at first it's kind of stifling because you go, man, I made it all the way to the top. And now I really, I really have less control than I, than I did before. But you realize that the reason for that is because they want you to be part of the decision-making team, which is such a huge change over when I started in-house. In-house lawyers were viewed as, you know, people who couldn't cut it in a mm. law firm, or, you know, you just worry about the legal stuff, we'll take care of the business. And I have lived through a very dramatic change in attitude, not only within the in-house community itself about how they view themselves and how these this job has changed, but also how the business views you and what and what they want from their in-house legal team. They don't they don't just want the legal answer. They want you to help them get to the answer, the right answer for the company, the strategic answer for the company. And if you compartmentalize yourself and go, well, gee, all I want to talk about is the legal stuff, they can hire someone, they can pay an outside lawyer to do that you know, to keep someone inside, they, they really want more than that. And, and that's been a big change, but I, th I think it's been a really good change. And I think it's what makes being an in-house lawyer kind of exciting and, and really yeah. fun because you're, you're really part of the team, part of the business. That, that's what I always liked about it. And I love that you, you said that it's that it's a mindset shift, I suppose. If you're, you're getting a call from the chairman of the board on a Sunday night at first, it might be, oh my gosh, you know, why? <laughs> yep. <laughs> but but with that shift and that that empathy, it's like wow. Actually, they really do value my opinion here and want me to be involved. And that's what I've been looking for this whole time. And now I've got it. Let's not let's not look a gift horse in the mouth as such. It's a it that, is a real exactly honor and a privilege. Right. Yeah. It's it's heady stuff. Yeah. It's heady. It's heady stuff. You're you're really you're kind of viewed as their lawyer, even though under the ethical rules, that's not really true. <laughs> Sometimes you have to be careful about that, but they view you as, as essential. And that's, that should be the goal. If you're striving for the role of general counsel, you do want to be viewed as essential in more ways than just being the person spouting off on legal issues. You, you hopefully you're going to want more, the job to be more than that makes it harder, but it also makes it far more fulfilling. Yes. And more interesting, I'm sure. And way more interesting, yes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Council. Please subscribe to the show so that you don't miss future episodes. I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn or Instagram. Find me at The In-House Lawyer.